0: people of God for more than 3,000 years. Join me in the Shema. Shema Israel. Adonai, Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Ahad. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Eloheinu. Join me, please. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Scripture this morning, God's Word comes to us from the letter to the Hebrews, the 10th chapter, verse 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not neglecting meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Would you like to know how to live longer? Would you like to know how to live healthier? Would you like to know how to have a happier life? Then come back next week. And come back the week after that. And come back the following week. You see, there are some interesting studies that have been released that show that regular attendance at worship can be a major predictor of a number of things. The first thing of which it's a major predictor is a longer life. According to a study done in, uh, in the UK and released in the Sunday Times in the year 2000, uh, they found that people who worshipped regularly lived 29% longer than those who didn't. The headline went something like this, Want to live longer? Go to the church instead of the gym. They found in the same study done there that people who worshipped with regularity had lower blood pressure than those who did not. And then they found not only that you can have a longer and healthier life as you regularly worship in the church or in a synagogue, they found that through studies at Duke University Medical Center, which you know would be accurate on all matters except for football, they found this, that you actually have a happier life when you are engaged in regular worship, they found that when uh, both a husband and wife and a married couple worship together, that they are more likely to find satisfaction in their marriage. They found also that uh, among people who worshiped with regularity, there was a lower incident of depression in their lives. All sorts of benefits come from those who gather together and worship. But none of those benefits, are the main reason why God calls us together this morning. The author to the book, A Letter of Hebrews, gives us a hint as to why we are here. He said, let's consider how we can spur each other on to love and good deeds, and then he adds, and not neglect meeting together. Basically, what he was trying to say, I believe, is that we are in worship because we need it. Because to live this life of faith is so difficult that we cannot do it on our own. You see, the book of Hebrews, we believe, was written to house churches in Rome in the first century. And house churches in Rome were undergoing or getting ready to undergo severe persecution on the part of the emperor. And one of the things that was happening because of that is there were a number of people in these house churches who were beginning to sort of unjoin. They were beginning to think about filing out of the Christian movement. In fact, they had already started to skip the weekly worship time together. And writing to let them know that this would, this wouldn't hurt, this wouldn't help them and it would hurt them in their faith, the author of the Hebrews writes an entire letter trying to get people to hang in there and support and encourage each other. It's just a difficult life, this life of faith, to live alone. remember the story of a Methodist pastor who was talking to the local rabbi in town, and the rabbi said, you know, it is so hard to be Jewish in this community. He said, we're always having to tell our children, no, you can't do that. We're Jews. And the Methodist pastor smiled and said, funny you should mention that. We often have to tell our kids, no, you can't do that. We're Christian." The world is not set up to run according to the standards of people of faith. It will always be the culture in opposition to the people of faith. And so, therefore, it's going to be a hard thing to keep this life of faith, especially alone. You'll probably remember the great story from the 19th century. uh, Evangelist D.L. Moody, who ended up in Chicago, comes to Chicago for one of his first revivals. And it so often happens. When you come to a church as a guest preacher, they they send you out and kind of sick you on the people in the church that are sort of falling away from the church. So they send him out to a guy's uh, house who hasn't been to church in months. And Moody sits down with him on this winter's evening around a fireplace, and they talk. And, And Moody listens as this guy lists all the reasons why it's really not possible or even a good idea for him to be in worship at that church on Sunday. As they listen, finally Moody takes a coal with a pair of tongs from the fire and separates it from all the other coals. And together, without saying a word, they watch the coal that is all by itself die out. And Moody points out, this is what will happen to your Christian life if you neglect this meeting together. What does it look like when the flame goes out? I think there's a wonderful quote in the bulletin. It's on the um, page opposite where uh, we are right now in the service. And it's from David Stern, not the commissioner of the NBA, but, but a different David Stern. And he's talking about what happens when people quit meeting together. This is the second long quote, and it's right in the middle. He says this, Without purposeful contact with other believers, fruitful work for the kingdom soon ceases. Prayer becomes dry. The world shrinks. Not only social conscience, but even social awareness succumbs. And the person quickly withdraws into a world of his own in which costless discipleship and cheap grace prevail. Basically, the fire goes out. And we're no longer interested in anyone or anything other than ourselves. It is essential for our life of faith that we are here today. Now, you can look around this morning and you can find out that uh, a lot of people aren't here today. And you might ask, well, where are they? And why aren't they here? And and my first answer would be, oh, they're all coming at 11 o'clock. But if you came back at 11, you, you find out that probably isn't so. So I'll tell you that they're all at the rock and roll marathon. This is a very athletic congregation, you can tell by looking at me. But I don't think that's it either. Some have to work. Some have obligations with their family. Some are ill, but I believe most of them simply underestimate how difficult it is to walk this walk and live this life alone. I think they think they can keep their faith in Christ alive and their relationship with him all by themselves. Gerald Sitzer, in a wonderful book we've been using this fall called Love One Another says the problem is that most believers think that the walk of faith is a casual journey in the park. He said, really, the life of faith is more like climbing the Rocky Mountains, and it's going to be difficult, and it's going to be hard to do alone. When I was in Israel and Turkey last month, one of the things that our leader did is that he seemed to find every mountain in those two countries and would take us to the mountain. We'd unload off the bus, and we'd look at mountains that were higher than we wanted to climb and steeper than we wanted to uh, climb up, and he would have us climb them. And one of the things I learned was this, I climbed higher mountains and steeper grades with that group of people than I would have ever done by myself. With someone in front of me, I always knew where to put my foot or my hand next on the mountain. I always knew where the rock was beginning to break loose. With someone behind me, there was always encouragement. And if I began to slip, there was, there was somebody there to catch me. And I made it. And people who were 25 years older than me made it up these mountains because we did it together. That's the life of faith. It is a difficult journey to try to keep Christ's commandments in this world. And we simply cannot pull that off alone. The great Rabbi Hillel, who was one of Jesus' predecessors, said this, Do not separate from the community. That was his one sentence. Do not Separate from the community. He knew that you just couldn't worship the one true God trying to do it all on your own. So, as I think about it, I think what happens is that a lot of people just don't realize how important it is for their walk of faith that they gather together and find encouragement in the gathering. But I also think that one of the things that happens is we tend to us- underestimate how important our being here is to other people. Our being here, first of all, is important to the world. Because when we're here, we're telling the world that there is a God who exists and who is alive, and we believe in that God and we worship that God. Have you ever thought about what this world might look like if nobody believed in God? Have you ever thought about that? There are some popular books out right now that tend to blame all the violence throughout history on religions. But the fact of the matter is that archaeologists have found that before the advent of monotheism, before the days of Abraham... Fully, two-thirds of the tribes on the planet were in constant war. Two-thirds, all the time, at each other's throat before the advent uh, of monotheism, the revelation of God to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. Secondly, if you want to look at what a world looks like where they don't worship God, then you look at the Canaanites before Abraham and his followers get there, before Moses will eventually conquer this territory. And I can tell you three things were particularly notable about the Canaanites. The first thing is this. They sacrificed their firstborn children. They ritually killed their firstborn children. Second thing is this. They widely engaged in uh, prostitution, temple prostitution, with people of both sexes. Marriage was not held as a very significant commitment. Third thing was this. They always oppressed the poor. There was no room in that society for those who were on the margins. This is what a life looks like, a world looks like, when you don't worship God. And we talk about religious wars, and you may try to name some of them. Perhaps there have been a few. But look at most of the mass genocide that's taken place in the history of our planet have been places where they tried to push God out of the picture. Look at Stalin's Soviet Union where God was put on the back burner and and legislated out of existence. 20 million people died. You get rid of God and murder and mayhem comes in. The world needs God and they need to know that people believe in God. And one of the favors we do for the world is get up on Sunday morning, pull ourselves out of bed, and make our way toward here. We do it for them. But we also, and this is where Hebrews is so helpful to me because I missed it, we do it for each other. I've often thought about the benefit I I get by coming here and being with you every week. And and I think about how encouraging that is to me and to my family. But I've never realized how when we're here, we're encouragement to others. That they need us as badly as we need them. And that God cares about their walk of faith as much or more than God even cares about ours. And so that the greatest service sometimes we do another person is simply to be here. So we can be here for them and be an encouragement that somebody else believes. Be an encouragement because we can hear if they're troubled and and we can be present with them in time of need. The fact of the matter is there are all sorts of benefits that accrue to us individually by being here. But none of them are as significant to God as the benefits that others get from us being here. I'd never thought about this picture from Jesus uh, in this way before. But when I was in Israel, I was in Capernaum. And Capernaum is basically a factory for kitchen appliances of Jesus' day. Basically, they make millstones, small ones so that you can grind grain or grind whatever in your family's kitchen, and larger, like commercial millstones that you might use in bakeries. And they were all made out of rock that was quarried nearby. And Capernaum was on the sea, and so Jesus one day is commenting on things, and he said, you know, if you're going to get in the way of somebody's faith, If you're going to cause a little one to stumble, he said, you'd be better off, rather than being alive, to have one of these commercial-grade millstones tied around your neck and be thrown right there about 100, 150 yards away into the Sea of Galilee. I never really took that seriously because I thought, well, I'm not out there actually trying to get in anybody's way. I'm not actually trying to dissuade people from God. Certainly that doesn't apply to me. But then when I put it together with Hebrews, I realized that when when I'm not present with others, when I'm not listening to others, when I don't speak to them a word of encouragement that I could, I might as well be getting in their way because I'm not helping them forward. It's taken me a long time to realize that I don't just benefit from you being here, but by me being here and you being here, others benefit, that it's not just about me. It's about all of us together. And we all, when we're together, encourage one another so that we move on, as the author of Hebrews said, toward love and good deeds.